You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. This episode, episode 100, Yay! we're going to be talking about Jimi Hendrix Experience. Are you experienced? In the room, I have Rob, Hello. Ben, Hello. and Cannon. Hey. Are you experienced? Is the debut studio album from English American rock band The Jimi Hendrix Experience, released May 12th, 1967, on Track Records. It's produced by Chaz Chander, and the genre is psychedelic rock, acid rock, blues rock. And from All Music Review, uh, Richie Underberg, one of the most stunning debuts in rock history and one of the defining albums of the psychedelic era. On Are You Experienced, Jimi Hendrix synthesized very elements of the cutting edge of 1967 rock into music that sounded both futuristic and rooted in the best traditions of rock, blues, pop, and soul. It was his mind-boggling guitar work, of course, that got most of the ink, building upon experiments of British innovators like Jeff Beck, Peter Townshend, to chart new sonic territories in feedback, distortion, and sheer volume. Not to be underestimated were the contributions of drummer Mitch Mitchell and bassist Noel Redding, who gave the music and rhythmic pulse that fused parts of rock and improvisational jazz. Many of these songs were among Hendrix's very finest, it may be true that he would continue to develop at a rapid pace throughout the rest of his brief career, but he would never surpass his first LP in terms of consistent high quality. Uh, the British and American versions of the album differed substantially when they were initially released in 1967. MCA's 17th song reissue did everyone a favor by gathering all the materials from the two records in one place, adding a few B-sides from the early singles as well. All right, I have one fact here before we get started. Are you experienced? It reached number five on the Billboard 200, remaining on the chart for 106 weeks. 27 of those in the top 40. All right, what do we think of Jimi Hendrix? Are you experienced? <laughs> um, I just want to start out and say that Clapton seriously thought that they were like, on the same fucking level. <laughs> Clapton was like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta really work on this. I, you know, that Jimi Hendrix is, you know, he, he's nipping at my fucking heels. Like, what the fuck? This, oh God. This, 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 for the most part, this entire fucking record, for me, like, is solid gold. Uh, we're currently listening to my favorite song on it, which is Manic Depression. Uh, the fucking backing band for this band 
Even though, like, uh, after reading up on it, how, like, they really didn't have any say whatsoever, and a lot right. of the times, Jimmy was just, like, they were learning the songs, warming up in the studio, and this is what came out. Holy fuck. What a good band. It works. And, yeah, it works yeah. perfectly. And fucking the, yeah, the gu- guitar work is just otherworldly, still to this day. So, I I don't really like a lot of flashy guitar soloing, I'll be honest. I'm like, get to the song. Uh, when it comes to Jimi Hendrix, though, this record in particular, like, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. I'll listen to just, like, uh, the isolated guitar tracks. Um, the other thing is, I haven't listened to this record in a long time, and just going back and looking at the uh, the track list, it's like looking at London Calling, where you're like, that song, and that song, and that, <laughs> yeah, that oh, and that's what follows it, and that's, oh my, what, huh? And you just look for a weak link, it's not there. And you just think, wow, every one of these songs, either they were a hit or it was still flawless. And so. e- yeah. even even the British release, which doesn't have you know Purple Haze, mm-hmm. doesn't have Hey Joe, doesn't have Wind Called Mary. Uh, if I didn't know that I was missing those songs, like if I had just had no concept that those songs were available and I was being denied them, so like even without those, it's such it, it's just airtight. Airtight, refreshing, finally, finally, summer of 1967. <laughs> finally. He had to fucking go to England <laughs> to be able to be like, nah, guys, it's going to be okay. Uh, the crazy thing for me, too, is that, like, nobody wanted to put out this record. Nobody cared about him to the point where he went to England and was rejected by everybody, too. Yeah. And then it wasn't until someone who just started a label, and I think, if memory serves, desperately needed anyone to release a record. Uh, it was the an- Animals. Yeah, guy from the Animals yeah. was like, yeah, I, I, yeah. I guess I'm going to be a producer now. Or yeah. Yeah, Meanwhile, manager. Country Joe McDonald is <laughs> just getting all, oh, you want another one? Oh, I'll record you another roly-poly stupid album. <laughs> I don't understand. Do you not like Country Joe? <laughs> I, 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 Country Joe is is my fill-in for... It's his representation. It's my representation yeah. for every subpar, mundane, San Francisco psychedelic band that's no better than any of the other ones. There are bands that, that rose above. All of the bands that... The, the Quagmire, I just call it Country Joe McDonald and the Fish. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's apt <laughs> I'm with you I'll do that you know, what do you think makes because uh, I agree with you on like I'm well no I don't necessarily agree with you I, I like flashy guitar stuff depending on what it is um, I think heavy metal solos deserve some some pretty flashy shit but like when I think of things like uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan or whatever like uh, not, not, you know I know he's doing something good but I don't like what he's doing uh, but like you know, a, a Dick Dale of sorts. Like you know, that shit fucking rules. Like what? That's what, yeah. So what, why is this transcendent of how you feel? Normally? I I wrote down something while listening to this, which might yeah. lead to that. But listening to Red House, the, well, all this, the whole album, the whole album. Yeah. because I was thinking about Clapton. You know, we had Blues Breaker, we had all these sort of like oh man Clapton can shred and he does i mean he's very, he's he's technically good he is technically but difference in knowing technique and doing something innovative and interesting 
And Clapton, to me, is is the king of, I have a template, and I will do that template to a T, the best it can be done. And then Jimmy's being like, no templates, throw out the rules, and I'll do whatever the fuck I want, and whatever I want is is amazing guitar work. Now, what was uh, what was the most recent album that we were talking about that Clapton played on? He did, we, he did one after Blues Breakers. Cream? Yes. Cream. 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 Yeah. The Mega Band. Yes. I, will, I will say this. Uh, Crossroads, good song. One good song in his career. That's pretty good, <laughs> considering how bad I think he is. Uh, the fact that he could have one good song. I guess for me, too, it's partially about what you're trying to do. Like, Dick Dale, that's a thing where it's like, there's no reason for this to exist if not for the ridiculous, like, evocative guitar work. Because it's not just that he's shredding, it's like, I think that's a good word for it. It's very evocative. It's like trying to say something, make a point, create an entire world in and of itself. And you don't need a mastery of technique for that. And the problem is that a lot of times when people are like, check me out, I can play lots of guitar. It doesn't support what they're trying to do on a larger scale musically. Yeah. It's just kind of them inserting a solo because, well, we've had uh, two verses, two choruses, time for a solo, and then we hit that bridge. Yeah. And I can give you a sweet ass solo. Yeah. Like, that's kind of for Although, me. And also, like, when it comes to metal, I'm not the best person to, like, make that argument against only because, like, I'm, I'm more of like a. A, a doom or a sludge guy so like sure, stoner yeah. rock like the slower kind of more laid back where uh, it might sound like a guitar solo properly if you sped it up by like three <laughs> times i also yeah. like my metal slow and riffy so you know yeah so i mean that's not to say that i don't like any of it and that i don't still enjoy guitar solos for the sake of having guitar solos in that context but that's, yeah, that's me. And this just, like, what he does on this record, what he does in general, is it's like he, it feels like he set out to say, here's what I want to accomplish. Now, how do I play the guitar to do that? Yeah. He has a very riff-based approach, though. Yeah, that's true, too. I mean, he, I also had written down that, like, it's funky. Like, it is. he is a very, like, jam, funk like riff bass, but it doesn't linger too long in any direction because as soon as like it feels like it's lingering, he brings it into a, a another like spectrum. Yeah. Of of like w something interesting that he's doing on the guitar. So, I mean, that's a good point. Plus and the backing band, I mean, is always there like killing it. Yeah. I mean, half the time I feel like it's like a Keith Moon situation where he's doing those those fills but the fills almost half the time are the main, are the like the uh, yeah, the verse lead drums. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like everybody's doing a a lead instrument at the same time. I think the other thing about it too is with him when it comes to serving the song, his history. Not that there were no other virtuosic guitar players who just like got their start as a backing musician, like playing on the road a lot and doing that stuff, but. I would have to assume that when you're in that position with, um, was it Curtis Knight and the Squires and who else? He played, you know, he played for a couple of like mm -hmm. R&B funk. So the point is he was in these kinds of bands that were very much like working bands yeah. and only existed to play shows because otherwise Curtis Knight, 
Jimmy James, those guys are like in the studio with session guys who are like in LA or where or New York mm-hmm. or wherever. Like he's he was not that from if memory serves, I could be way off base, but I don't think he was doing much no. session work no. until that point. Yeah, exactly. And this took, what was it, 16 sessions, this album? Mm-hmm. Five, that's, five months of recording, I That's think. incredible. Yeah. I mean, this, they really believed, I think, in him. Although, why wouldn't you after hearing it? Searching my soul. I know what I want, but I just don't know how to go about getting feeling sweet feeling drops from my fingers, fingers. Manic depression is a captured my soul. saying before uh, I uh, there I forgot this Devo quote uh, from many years ago uh, it was uh, we believe technique is just failed style um, and I think that kind of gets to the the crux of it yeah like it what Jimi Hendrix is doing on guitar here is absolutely fucking style like it's yeah he is just fucking shit hot like doing this stuff and yeah like compared to like Clapton on the other side of the spectrum look at all the things I can play all technique yeah. zero style <laughs> Since we're laying praise upon this album, I mean, <laughs> how can you not? Uh, it is truly remarkable that he is writes the songs, shreds, awesome player, and sings. Yeah. He does them all. Mm-hmm. He's the full package. Fucking great at all of it. Yeah. He's got the style. He's got, you know, it, it's, it's crazy because I've... I kind of went back and I thought about this and I was like, yeah, the Stones, there's not like a single member, you know, like, yeah, you can say Jagger or whatever, but he doesn't write this, you know. Or play anything. Yeah. Other than like Baracus. Uh, Hey, now. And and even, I mean, we (laughs) just talked about The Doors. It's like Morrison didn't write the the music and stuff. So he is like. But there really was music in his poetry, uh, you know. (laughs) But he is like the king. He is, he is amazing. Yeah. This is also a time, too, when you could have a, a group like the Jeff Beck group, which was not fronted by the person who was named after, or Santana. You know, like, there were a bunch of right. guitarists who had bands named after them that were not actually the front men because they're like, well, this is the only thing he can do, and he is way better at doing that than the person who's singing isn't singing, except for, of course, Rod Stewart. But you, you get the you get the point, like, it's like, here's the guy that's supposed to be the star of the show, except, like, he's not really the star in, the, in terms of the way you think of a band with, like, the front man being the star. But D- Dave Clark was the drummer. Van, yeah, exactly. It's like... Van Halen. <laughs> yeah, uh... Right. And it's like... Manfred Mann. <laughs> Mumford and Sons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, you know, like, that was a time right around now, like, at this point, when that was just, like, that was pretty common. I think, yeah. like, Van Halen is the only band I can think of offhand in Where the Where the band like, is named after a member that's not the frontman? Yeah, like, 
past, I don't know, the mid-70s or something. There pro- I mean, there probably are, but, like, just off the top of my head, I, I like... Yeah. yeah. I, I can't think of one that rose to any acclaim. That'd be know, a fun acclaim. thing to think about. Yeah. So let's think about that so that you guys <laughs> okay. can prove me wrong, because I okay. want to be proven wrong here. What's the standout track for you, Birch? I think I have a new uh, favorite one. It was uh, I Don't Live Today. Because yeah, it's got this cool. like call and response, and it has this cool drone intro. It does this call and response, sort of like a protest sort of chant. And then it does this like fuzzed out freak out, and then the song like slowly devolves, and then it gets super freak, freaked out. You I can't really, say freak out. You know really freaky, man? What's that? He doesn't live today. <laughs> it's like it's like he called it. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, I am truly impressed too at his like technique of using I'm a you know, I like effects pedals and stuff like that, but he uses that like fuzz. It sounds like a big muff that's just like this full distorted big muff sound and he also uses like an echo uh octave octave echo on like purple haze to get that really strange, mm-hmm. you know, trippy sound. And of course he uses a wah-wah pedal and, and Is it stuff like on that. the UK version though? Because the only one that I can recall is Wind Cries Mary. Mm-hmm. And it's not on the UK version for the wah. Wind Cries Mary's not on the UK version. Yeah. yeah. But because that that was a when when we were discussing cream, like Clapton was Using the, a wah. One of the first to use the wah and the both these records came out the same fucking year. And just with Clapton. We're trying to find a good thing we could say yeah. about Clapton. Right? Well, just, maybe he did Wah first. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, Why not? He's done okay. Here's the thing. He's <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> yes, he has done okay. He's done okay. Him and Jeff, the way I kind of look at it is like, Jeff Beck, if they were all in a race, it's like Jeff Beck and is sitting there running along and Eric Clapton's like running along and Jimi Hendrix is on a, like a fucking another planet in a rocket ship. You know what I'm saying? Is like, the finish line on the planet where he is? Uh, there's, or is he a planet away from where the race is going to yeah, finish? Yeah, he's, he's, he's already literally so far past <laughs> yeah. the finish line. Oh, okay. He's already crossed it. Yeah. Okay. That's my interpretation. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh-oh, I hope Jimmy shows up pretty soon <laughs> across this finish line. He might be on a different planet. Like, can you even imagine seeing one of these shows and being like, you know what, I'm I'm in a cool band. I'm pretty good at doing this guitar <laughs> stuff. And then that shit just fucking, like, happened oh, to no, you? Oh, no, that literally happened. I wrote it down. It was at the... <laughs> it was at the Bag of Nails Club uh, in London. It was before this album came out when he was kind of just gigging around London. And he had there's already his reputation already preceded him, so he's playing this uh, this club, and in attendance at the club, uh, in the crowd is uh, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Jeff Beck, Pete Townsend, uh, Brian Jones, and Mick Jagger, and obviously they drew a lot of attention to the 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 regs that were in the crowd, the the normal folks, because all these rock gods were there. But people that were normal, that were uh, like just regular everyday people that were in the club, they were watching these other people watching Jimi Hendrix, and they said that this group of people just like standing there, and they said they kept on saying things like "Jesus" and "shit." (laughs) (laughs) That's accurate. Yeah. 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 That's probably what I would. Yeah. I'd just be like, 
nope, never writing a song. <laughs> Go, going away. Uh, I do like we we were talking before we were rolling. Uh, there there's a, a handful of anecdotes that are cool. I do like the one where he he's got his his Marshall full stack, and he's got it turned up all the like from what I can ima- uh, read and understand all the way. And the engineer's trying to figure out like where like where do I even put the microphone, and he just tells the engineer just put it twelve feet away. <laughs> it's, it's gonna sound great, and he was right. It does, you know. Yeah, it, sound, it sounds great, and it's got that space. It, it, like the the uh, obviously the amplifier is loud enough that the 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 microphone's having no trouble reading the amplifier from twelve feet away. Uh, you also have those cool, just like overdriven tones of an amplifier being turned out that big. But then you also have, just from the space between the microphone and the amp, you have that much atmosphere that is palpable. Like, you're hearing that whole room. Like, you're hearing that amp just, like, bounce off all those walls. And it's, it's still, I'm sure it's a, a pretty tight isolation room. You're not going to have, like, an actual discernible echo. But it adds up. It adds layers of nuance to a guitar sound. And it just makes it sound huge. Yeah. I, for one, have never been in an isolation room where I could move a microphone 12 feet away from me. <laughs> so to, right, right there you blew my mind with the idea well, that was, like, there was enough spot. What was, what was it, 16 recording sessions? So one of one of those places had it, had it far enough away. I do want to say we just finished uh, Fire, and sometimes I forget how much that is like the best MC5 song. Just shit hot uh, fucking drummer, man. I like, mean, the and it's so fu- like so funky. The mm-hmm. like the some of the drum breaks in that are just like ridiculous and they're so m- tiny and small and short, but you just want to like punch something. I don't think he repeats them either. No. No, like, not at all. That's unique. what's crazy yeah. about it. It's just like it keeps going and going and going and pushing and then it's gone and you're like I need to just listen to to that again. So I thought the American cover was was very cool. Oh, let's talk about album covers. Yeah. Not only is the American cover cool, the British cover sucks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Are it you sucks saying... because it's just like no. The... It, it, it there's so many different there's so many different angles at, at which it, it, it's just not working. Yeah. Uh, from the the own photographer's uh, opinion. Uh, the t- photographer said, like he took he took a hand uh, he took a, a roll, you know, of the band, you know, like this, and he sent the roll to uh, like whoever was in charge of design at the label, and he said he marked uh, a few pictures that he thought were the best ones of the roll, and uh, I haven't seen these, but according to the photographer, photographer, like uh, the, the the expressions on the people's face, 
every everything he says, it makes it sound like they were posed less goofy with less goofy expressions than the one that made it. But uh, so that was one of the reasons why when it was getting its American release, uh, Jimmy took a personal interest in the album cover. Like he actually he he picked the photographer, he met with them, he told them like what he wanted out of it, and it's like it's a cooler album cover. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys so want to hear a real fun up. bit of trivia before <laughs> okay. we, yes. we call this uh, quits? Okay. Uh, so July 8th or 9th, Jimi Hendrix is opening for the Monkees back in 66, I think. Maybe 67, I'm not too sure. I think it was 67. Okay, so uh, so 51 years ago from when we were recording in a couple of days, uh, the M- Monkees Teeny Bopper fans booed Jimi Hendrix <laughs> off the stage, <laughs> and he ran away to England. Uh, that was well. That, that's what did it. That was also uh, that was that he had already been to England and he was back in America because that was also a Chaz Chandler idea. Oh, he knew <laughs> he knew that it. So the Monkees. Uh, members of the Monkees were fans of Hendrix. Of course they were. Of course they were. Monkees were huge. Members of the Monkees are fans of Hendrix. Chaz Chandler sees that. He's like, oh, so okay, so we'll just have Jimmy open for you on a few shows. And Chaz knows that this is not going to... Like, it's not the right demographic. It's not the right crowd. But he also knows... He's going to be put him in, putting them in front of the venues where the monkeys are playing in America. Because yeah. Jimmy had yet to break in America. So uh, he knew it wasn't going to go well. And he, he did it anyway. He was like, hey, you're, a lot of people are going to see you. I have a great idea. <laughs> I want you to get booed off stage every single night on this tour. It's going to be great for your, uh, for your 13 ego. 13 year old yeah. girls. They, couldn't deal. They dropped off the tour after like six days, but still, that's, that's six days to play into packed arenas or where, where I don't know where the monkeys were playing arenas. But I don't know they're, they're, But they're TV stars. You know, that's a it's a whole nother level. But then Woodstock's about to hit, so Monterey first. Yeah, two, two more. So I wanted to bring up Monterey. So June nineteen sixty seven. Uh, sorry. June 16th to the 18th, 1967, Jimi Hendrix plays extremely loud, dive bombs uh, with with the whammy bar, a sound that probably n- half the people had ever heard before. <laughs> and it's because they were in war. Throws, yeah, absolutely. Throws his guitar, plays Wild Thing, sets the guitar on fire while kneeling beside it, smashes it, and throws it in the audience. I mean, it's the performance that just, like, rocketed him. You're already the best guitar player on, the like, one of the coolest bands, and here you are, like, being a crazy man. Meanwhile, every everyone else, including Country Joe and the Fish, was also there. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and they lived right so, down the street. So, <laughs> so it's like an experience. I mean, that, that thing just... Was it a Jimi Hendrix experience? It was. Would you say they were they experienced? They were afterward. Yes, afterward he had made them experience. All right, what do we think about this album? Fuck yes! Yay! Everyone's gonna give it a positive. I'm assuming. I give it a five point (laughs) six. Just kidding. It's a perfect ten. I know we're not rating them, but uh... this is absolutely something that everyone should listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Often, honestly, it 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 sounds as fresh as ever. And yeah. Like compared, it's, it's oh. one of the. I mean, I think it's going to be a resounding 
like must in the top I mean I would say even probably 50 oh yeah in this book I mean there I, had nothing nothing like it had come before mm-mm. I highly recommend it to anyone but especially if by chance anyone has spent like maybe the last two months listening to like psychedelic folk <laughs> from <laughs> San Francisco shit. It, like, and it just keeps on coming and you think it's done but no there's just there's just more every week there's more and more I would totally recommend listening to the <laughs> Jimi Hendrix experience are you experienced is it, is just a wonderful palate cleanser and you know just it, it, there's there's hope. There's there's good things right around the corner. All right. That's right. All right, next time we'll be talking about the electric prunes. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, bud. If you can just get your mind together, then come on across to me. And then we'll watch the sunrise From the bottom of the sea But first, are you experienced?